Oh, yeah. Back at it again. Can't stop, won't stop, April 26th. You know what that means. Draft day, baby. It's the NFL Draft Bible Radio 2018 NFL Draft Day Primer. We're on fire over here. We're bringing you everything you need to know. Get you ready for the draft tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time. We're just a little bit uh, six hours and change away from destination Dallas. And uh, it's can't stop, won't stop situation here. We got some very breaking news and developments going on. We're going to talk about it, break it all down with Joe Everett and John Murphy here at the NFLDraftBible.com. And we've been bringing you the names you need to know first since 2002. You know how we do, NFLDraftBible.com, brought to you by Patrick T. Sharkey Landscaping. Check them out, Patrick T. Sharkey Landscaping. We appreciate all of our sponsors, including the Pressure Sportswear guys, so PressureSports.com, GoParabolic.com, everybody who has shown support and backed the NFL Draft Bible since 2002. It's what we do, 17 years and counting, and – here to break it all down with me is the director of college football scouting. He is Joe Everett. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe W. Everett. And we are anticipating John Murphy, the uh, assistant general manager of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, one of the original NFL Draft Bible Familia members in just a minute. But while we wait for John, let's welcome in Joe. And he never, ever, ever leaves a stone unturned. <laughs> Joey. Uh, I'm, I'm not even going to say how you're doing. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm going to say, hey, all this Baker Mayfield talk, this chit-chat chatter, you're buying or selling, number one overall? I'm selling. I, I still don't believe it. Uh, I mean, the, this would be so Cleveland-esque. I mean, this is what the Browns do. They take that blue-chip prospect and they push him to the side and say, no, no, thank you. I want this guy over here. So I... I mean, on that uh, aspect of it, I guess I could believe Cleveland would do something that doesn't seem smart. But I still believe once it comes down to eight, uh, Darnold's going to be off the board. Uh, I guess one thing we do know, it ain't Josh Allen, number one. <laughs> yeah, there was some talk there, and, you know, it's it's gone from Allen or from Darnold back to Allen, back to Darnold now. This Baker Mayfield buzz is generating a lot of publicity, and if you listen to uh, the Twitterverse or pay pay attention to it, it, it seems like, you know, it, it almost sounds like Baker Mayfield is a lock, and, you know, I'm just not buying it. Joe Everett's not buying it, but let's welcome in Saskatchewan Rough Riders Assistant Vice President of Football Operations and Player Personnel, John Murphy, one of the original NFL Draft Bible Familia members of NFL Draft OG from way back. John, welcome into the show. Baker Mayfield is the buzz of the day. You buying or selling that he could go number one overall to Cleveland? Well, I'm surprised that it took all the way until 10 hours before the draft or less that Josh Allen could actually do something off the field to get himself <laughs> now questioned where there were so many questions, you know, leading up to it about his on-field performance. Now it really has to make you wonder if you're a team that was sitting there saying, okay, but at least everything else on this kid is clean. He's from white. You know, all the good things that they had going for him. Now to be there basically at the 24th hour. And this is even different than the Tunsil scenario where that happened as the draft is starting and it gets out there to have eight or ten hours, you know, in the NFL universe, you know, having this much time before the draft tonight, everybody's going to get to the bottom of, was it just 
you know, hey, I was quoting a song, I was quoting some other things, I was talking to friends, I wasn't, you know, meaning to use it in a derogatory manner. You know, well, unfortunately, think about every locker room he's going to go into. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to walk around and explain yourself or have a lot of guys wondering what this guy's character is when, you know, this is not something you really want. Whereas with Baker Mayfield, I don't think the questions from the players would be coming to him about, you know, the off-field thing or planting the flag or, you know, grabbing his, you know, himself during the game or any of that type of stuff is more worrisome to coaches and administrators. The players are all going to have done stuff like that themselves, so they're not going to be as concerned. So it does make you start wondering now, you know, that if the idea going into the past few weeks was in Cleveland's mind, take a quarterback at one, see how much value you can get at four, if not draft who you want, you know, at four, does this now put any type of, you know, red flags into it? Or does it allow you to take Josh Allen still and get a much better contract than you were going to get five minutes ago? Because suddenly, if he doesn't go at one, he might be sitting there to 11 or 12. Talking to Joe Evans, director of college football scouting for NFL Draft Bible, John Murphy, assistant vice president of football operations and player personnel. You know me, RIC in a place to be, kind of like it is when it comes to the NFL Draft since 2002. You already know how we do. Check us out, NFLDraftBible.com. We've got the top 600. We've got the mock draft. We've got the podcast going. But, John, I want to stay with you because, obviously, you are a decision maker for, you know, a Canadian football league team, but let's – Let's put our NFL pants on and say you were the Cleveland Browns. I want to ask you a two-parted question. You know, how much does it affect you that, you know, we're going back to when Josh Allen was 16 years old, five, six years ago. We're scrubbing his social media account. And quite honestly, I've heard about it. I haven't had time to go back and, and, and dig up what the exact quotes were. And I guess, you know, I hate to, I hate to outdate myself and sound like a 30 year old white male, but you know, apparently it's, it's a, you know, hip hop music references that he's making on the Twitter account from, you know, being a high school student at 16 years old, you've done all this due diligence, whether it's been the past four months, the past year, the past two years, whatever the case may be, how much of an impact, or a factor, does that play into the equation now? Just like you said, eight hours before the draft, now we're getting all this new information. And the second part of that, you know, you mentioned Baker Mayfield off the field. What about, you know, his agent calling up these teams for the private workouts and the visits saying, hey, you know, uh, you, you want to fly Baker Mayfield out to your facility? Well, you know, you, you need to upgrade him to first class. Does that bother you at all? Um, yeah, like I would take into consideration if I knew what the agent was all about, if this is the agent, uh, you know, trying to play for himself to his client, I'm not going to hold it against Baker Mayfield. If I have a, a feeling or a vibe that it's not the agent, because no player, including the number one pick in the draft for any agency, no agent is going to say that player is worth more to him than the relationships he has with those 32 teams. So I would think that I would be able to know right away. Is this the agent trying to, big, you know, put on his big boy pants and act like to his client, hey, look what I did for you? Then that's excusable. If I had a feeling that it was the kid, that certainly would raise a red flag to me to go back to his coaches, to go back to maybe some of his teammates, to go back to the scouts and say, hey, is this a, 
you know, just a blink on the radar, or is this the kind of kid we're going to get who, you know, every little scenario that comes up, we're going to be dealing with something. And I think the other side of it with Josh Allen is, hey, okay, so, Rick, you and I grow up, you know, we live in New York. You know, I live on Long Island. I go up to the Bronx to see my friends when I was a teenager. You know, I go to Brooklyn where my dad's from, and I hang out with those kids in the summer. Your language, how you say things, what you say, and who you interact with, to me, does play a role or a part in all of that stuff compared to potentially a kid who, you know, is growing up not in a, you know, maybe around that so often that the only interaction they have with it is the music, is uh, is videos, is, you know, television or any kind of stuff like that. To me, not knowing the ability to use or not use certain language knowing that you can like certain things, but then it's not politically correct or even common sense correct to be using that type of, you know, language or references, you know, again, that becomes worrisome to me because you've seen other guys, you know, have issues in their locker room not being able to relate to their teammates, not being able to be on the same page or get on the same page with them. And it's a totally different reason than why people have questions about Josh Rosen but if you're going to have the questions about Rosen being able to interact with the everyday guy, uh, being able to interact with the staff and the players on a level that's, that's not seen as him being an elitist or him being seen as, uh, you know, a, a kind of a loner or to himself and to his own crowd, well, then now you have to bring up these same kind of topics when it comes to Josh Allen for different reasons, which is, hey, this is the focal point of your club, the one guy on your team that cannot show signs of being a D-bag on or off the field, he's your starting quarterback. You know, they're not going to follow him if they don't trust him, if they don't believe him, and they don't think he's the right kind of guy. You're not going to get the leadership on the field. You're not going to get it off the field. You're not going to get it in the locker room. And for most of these clubs that are picking high, they haven't had any kind of real recent success, which is why it would not be shocking to see Cleveland say, hey, you know what, the one guy that brings a culture change is Baker Mayfield, the one guy that could come in here and immediately, when given an opportunity to play, changes the opinion of our fans, changes the opinion of our players, changes the work ethic of the guys in the room with him, is Baker Mayfield. I don't need to put him on the field for the next year or two, but the good thing is the same offense I'm running with Tyrod Taylor over the next two years to try to get us to be successful or at least challenging to win some games is the same offense I can teach Baker Mayfield as opposed mm-hmm. to does it really seem like you're teaching the same offense to Tyrod Taylor, you know, into a guy like Josh Allen or Josh Rosen, maybe the Sam, Sam Darnold, maybe you could, you know, do that. But it, it would seem like the offenses don't match what you're going to be doing with Tyrod Taylor to then turn around and say it's Josh Allen uh, you know, or it's Josh Rosen, Darnold, maybe a little bit. I can believe that he can move around. Maybe he'll pass first and not run as much as Tyrod does. But Baker Mayfield, you could run the same exact offense, and in a year or two, have Mayfield taking it over. And at that point, Tyrod Taylor may even be able to stay as your number two. To me, what makes this whole thing uh, more interesting for the next six to eight hours are I don't see any of these quarterbacks having such a dynamic, great difference that it doesn't have to creep into your mind unless you're just going with your guy because you have a substantial grade difference. Why not draft the best player to yourself, which could be Barkley, which could be, 
uh, you know, Quentin Nelson, which could be Bradley Chubb, and then say at four, let these other two teams in front of me make the error or mistake of overdrafting a quarterback because I may still get either Allen or Mayfield at four if I put the pressure on the clubs at two and three to have to make a choice when I've taken at least one of the top three best players in the draft off the board to begin with. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, pretty ironic. I'll turn it over to Joe because we talked about the character questions surrounding Josh Rosen leading up to the draft and how he wouldn't be a fit for Cleveland. And now, you know, you got the Baker Mayfield that we, we talked about it on last podcast with, you know, being upgraded to first class and then the Josh Allen comments coming out. And I'll just let you chime in, Joe, and, and give your two cents on what the Cleveland Browns should do, where they're at, and – you know, how you view it, you heard John's perspective. I mean, you know, I'll play devil's advocate here. If I'm the Cleveland Browns, we've struck out so much going back to Tim Couch. You know, we've struck out on on quarterbacks so much now that I want, you know, I want my top quarterback in this year's draft. I don't want, you know, necessarily the third or fourth best quarterback in this year's draft. I want to get my guy because I'm looking at the playoff teams around the league, the NFL. The common denominator is good quarterback play, and I think it makes a big difference, you know, if you have your first-ranked quarterback or your fourth-ranked quarterback. But quickly, Joe, your your input here on what the Cleveland Browns should do and your perspective on it all. I, I think they take the quarterback and then they trade down. I mean, that's the easy answer, right? You take that fourth pick and get some more assets out of that thing. I really – Unless one of those great players that I'd say Chubb or Barkley falls to you at four, and if that's not the case, then talk, start talking to some of those quarterback needy teams is what I would uh, advise the best. And I'm with you, Rick. I wouldn't. I, I don't. I don't know. I'd just be uncomfortable waiting and taking what might be my third, or maybe even, uh, yeah, my third quarterback off the board. I just. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'd rather just be confident with who you want out of this group and uh, make your selection because, you know, we've talked on previous shows, next year's draft class of quarterbacks I'm not enamored with. Free agency is always a question mark. I think you, you, you answer that, that question that's been burning you, like you said, for years, and then uh, move on. I think I, I really doubt that the Browns are going to make that fourth pick, right? Well, yeah. I think I think at this point, you know, uh, some of this leakage from the Josh Allen, you know, could be maybe from the Cleveland Browns and a team that wants to, you know, teams thought maybe Josh Allen was good number one. Now there's a little leakage of, of Twitter accounts and all that. Maybe maybe there's a team now that wants to trade up to number four. And I posted my latest mock draft on the website just a little while ago. I got Arizona and both Buffalo trading up four quarterbacks, and I think, you know, I have one, two, three, four quarterbacks thrown off the board in the top six picks, and, uh, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, get out of this top part of the draft and talk about some of the later part of the draft, but, John, I'm going to turn it over to you as a New York guy. Giants at number two, Jets at number three, you know, the biggest mystery of this year's draft to me is the New York Giants, not even the Local beat reporters have a, a, a grip on what the Giants' plan is. Are they reloading? Are they are they rebuilding? We really don't know. And until we see the selection, if it's Saquon Barkley, I assume they're reloading. If it's going to be Sam Donald, I assume they're reloading. How do you see the Giants and Jets picks uh, playing out there, John? Yeah, I think the, the one thing that, that it seemingly has been with what they've done 
is to say, hey, the guys that are here that they felt, you know, were, were assets that were guys that could, you know, still play at the high level, it seems like those are the guys they've retained. The players that they were thinking are on the wrong side of things or, you know, hey, if they have a season left, it's maybe just one, it's not two or three, so, hey, let's make a move a year too early than a year too late. Uh, you know, I think they've done the same with that, hoping that, you know, a combination of the guys that are still in-house and what they could then add through this draft will allow them to replace some of those guys. But I think, when you know, when you have Odell Beckham and you still don't know between his health, how much money he wants, you know, what kind of friction or non-friction will there be there this year, you know, that's that still has to be to everybody, including the Giants' upper management, uh, a, a big question mark. And you know you have Eli, probably if you can keep him healthy, you know, could get another – you know, one and maybe two seasons, you know, out of them there. I think by signing Soldier to that type of money and then reinvesting in the offensive line again and making, you know, an immediate decision on the center and not retaining him and going in a different direction, you know, it, it seems like their push is to say, hey, this is our GM. He knows our organization. Our organization is comfortable with them so that he has the open door policy to say, hey, this isn't a re, you know a complete reload. I think they're going to try to do both things at the same exact time, but that drafting a Saquon Barkley or drafting a Bradley Chubb, if those are the the two options other than the quarterback, okay, well Chubb will be here when we turn it around. So if we don't make a playoff run this year or next year, and then Eli retires, or hey, then it really is the end of the road. Chubb will still be a factor. If we draft Barkley, he'll be a supreme factor in helping not only Manning try to, you know, regain some of his past success and make another playoff push, but it would be nothing better than to have Saquon Barkley in your backfield when you are putting a young quarterback on the field in 2019 or 2020. But so, you know, honestly, I think those are the two picks it's down to. I think they've done a great job, you know, of manipulating things to say, hey, you know, the Jets already made a trade to three. The Giants and the Jets were never going to make a trade unless – you know, somehow Mike Ditka had taken over the Jets and was going to trade his entire draft, you know, to the Giants <laughs> to make a to make a swap. Uh, so I think the Giants are the club that has sat there and has to be the club besides the Browns that are hearing, you know, the most volume to say, okay, you know, at what point would we feel comfortable moving down? How far? And then if we're not taking the quarterback, is it got to be, you know, probably one of those two guys You've seen the kind of guys that Gettleman has drafted. You know, he's not scared to take defensive linemen when other people are taking, you know, skill position guys. Uh, and a guy like Barkley offensively, like I said, I think would help them. It improves your offensive line to have a guy like that. Uh, you know, it takes the pressure off of Manning, even with those weapons that they have. And it's going to create a, a dynamic amount of coverage issues for clubs. If you have Saquon Barkley and he's in the backfield, He's leaking out of the backfield. He's lining up in the slot. He's moving around, you know, with things. And now you take that into consideration with the three receivers and the tight end they have and what appears to be an improved offensive line, that's still a club that could, you know, depending on how other teams do, could make a push. I think the playoffs and the and the issue of the Giants being a contender, it, it, it's more of an issue because of the fact that there's more teams now that are going to be competitive in the sense of saying not competitive maybe to win a championship, but now the Rams are ultra-competitive. Now San Francisco in that division is competitive. You're expecting Tampa to come back around. The Falcons are in a similar situation to the Giants. 
Carolina still has Newton and some of those weapons. The Saints are a better team. You know, Detroit came within a couple of, you know, things last year of making the playoffs. We know what Minnesota has. We know what Green Bay has. The Eagles just won a championship. The Cowboys have weapons on both sides of the ball to split or sweep or get swept by the Giants. And you would expect with the changeover and just the, you know, the end of all the drama in Washington for them to be improved. Again, not saying that they're a playoff contender, but now we just rattled off almost the entire NFC. And most of those clubs are equal or better than the Giants. So if the reload just because of the factor that it's Dave Gettleman, I think that the, the knowing that that's your guy, Houston going back to Brian Gain, Gettleman coming in here, the Eagles going back to Roseman after they made, you know, the bad choices that they made, you know, the people staying in Tampa Bay and then the, you know, the, uh, the Raiders going back to a guy that they, they know who he is. They know what he likes. They know what kind of players he likes. I think those clubs are not going to be afraid to try to do two things at once, knowing that they're going to get their own shot to rebuild. Like Dave Gettleman, this isn't the only opportunity he's going to get to replace Eli Manning as a franchise quarterback, whereas some of these other clubs, if you make a wrong call in the top five, it's not only going to set your franchise back, but it's probably going to cost you to be updating your resume by October or November because you're not going to be around in the long term. I see the Giants as a club that know that they could, they're could they invested in Dave Kelvin for the foreseeable future, and they're not going to be making a change at that point in time. They're going to let him kind of roll out Eli Manning with a refurbished offense and see how that goes. And then if it still isn't good enough, I think that's when you'll see the Giants make a full-on turn you know, to the reload because they'll abandon some of those defensive players that Jerry re-signed in the next year. They'll let go of some of these other spare parts and draft picks. You know, I'd be surprised if, uh, you know, the left tackle, you know, makes it through the draft. And if he does, he's going to get traded or released you know, somewhere in the near future. So I think the Giants are a club that will sit there and take the best available player and then look to move around with the assets that they've acquired in the offseason to try to fill some of those other roles and then let Davis Webb and, and maybe a draft pick quarterback. But I think I, it would be very surprising, I think, with what they've done in free agency and to date, to then draft Darnold or to then draft, you know, a quarterback, you know, at two that cannot help them win games this year. What does that then tell Eli Manning? What does that then tell the other veteran guys that are there at that point in time when everybody will be looking over their shoulder at an 0-2 start, at a 2-4 start, instead of, you know, rallying to get behind Manning, everybody will be rallying to see how quick you can put in a rookie quarterback. Some very interesting perspective with John Murphy, Joe Everett, Rick Saratella here, and a lot of different directions I can go with that. You know, the Giants haven't picked this high, obviously, since Lawrence Taylor, I think, back in 85. So, you know, they don't pick this high up in the draft. That's why a lot of people are calling for them to draft the next franchise quarterback. But you, you made some good points there, John. And I think the ultimate X factor here is Coach Shermer, where, you know, Coach McAdoo, we saw what the result of a poor coaching job can do, a 3-13 and season, a Mr. Know-it-all coach, and talk about – players looking over their shoulder when you bench Eli Manning for Geno Smith, that's what you get. Now, Pat Shermer and new defensive coordinator James Betcher, it remains to be seen what they'll do, but, you know, Bradley Chubb is interesting for the Giants because, you know, they're switching to a 3-4 base defense, and with Vernon Olivier and and, uh, and Bradley Chubb, I, I, I can't 
270 pounds, which hey, could be the new wave of the NFL. I just don't recall seeing something like that. So it would be very extraordinary to see how that scenario plays out. Now, back over to Joe Everett, where I want to spend a little time on some positions that are not being talked about, Joe, and that's wide receiver and tight end. And, you know, I just did my mock draft here. I have the Dallas Cowboys selecting a wide receiver. You take a look at their depth chart, the release of Des Bryant. I mean, they got a bunch of nobodies on that roster. I have D.J. Moore. Surprisingly, I've come around the corner now with D.J. Moore being the first wideout off the board. I have two receivers in the first round with Calvin Ridley going to the Saints and then Cortland Sutton coming back around again, number 39, to Chicago. Also, the New England Patriots, you know, this whole Rob Gronkowski situation, Bill Belichick chewing out Gronk in front of the team in terms of using the TB12 facility, Gronk maybe being a little bit fed up with Belichick's policies, not reporting to camp, has other obligations, including dirt bike responsibilities. I could see Dallas Goder to the Patriots with them having two first-round picks. I could see Dallas Goder sending a clear message to not only Gronk, but the entire team. Maybe Gronk is even dangled as trade bait since he has been on the record and committed to the 2018 season. Joe, I'm curious to you, how do you like my wide receiver scenario in terms of them coming off the board? And am I reading too much into this whole Gronkowski situation in Dallas Goder? I know you've been a fan. You had a chance to see him down at the Senior Bowl. Is he indeed the first tight end off the board? Well, he's my first tight end. Uh, You know, I don't know what other people have him ranked as, but I like your thinking with the Patriots taking Goddard. Just a simple fact, not only Gronkowski, let's just throw that out and count him in for next year. Some of the best years for that Patriots offense was when they had Hernandez and Gronk both in tow at full force. I I really think uh, a guy like uh, Goddard would would, uh, open things up. Heck, just take Gasicki. You don't have to have him block or do much of anything. Uh, Put him out as a faux slot receiver and and let him get those one-on-ones and then let Gronkowski, you know, I really think the Pats need to get back to having two uh, very good route-running tight ends that could also do some other things. And um, Sutton's draft position, I think he got nailed. Uh, Chicago, I think that would be a nice little home for him, but I still believe he's a second-round pick. Uh, People that want him in the first round, I think they're just doing a little more projecting, which is the same case with D.J. Moore. I mean, yeah, the Cowboys need a receiver. You know, so do the Panthers. Maybe the Jags need a receiver. Is that a reason to stretch out and get a guy who you really are just kind of forcing into day one. I'm, I'm, uh, that, that, I'm, I was this close to finishing my mock and having zero wide receivers in it, but uh, begrudgingly put Calvin Ridley in there. And I don't know, I guess DJ Moore might factor into the first day. It's, there's so much hype around him and what he could be, but I think that's another case. You're just doing an awful lot of projecting and saying, well, he could be Steve Smith. Uh, his after the catch, he's so strong. How many routes does he run right now and how much coaching up are you going to have to do? Uh, there's a lot of hoping and praying there to where I'm just I'm skeptical that, that teams are really going to believe and want to spend on DJ Moore uh, yet and just, you know, wait till day two. And just I think there's just so many – receivers in the day two conversation that uh, pick your flavor ice cream you want a slot guy you want someone outside i mean th- there's going to be value and, and, and just options there so yeah I'm, uh, day one receivers that's the reason i just 
I don't have any grades day one on any of these receivers. I think there's some good players. It's just Hall of Very Good, not Hall of Fame. You know, John, as a decision maker, you know, you got a guy like Calvin Ridley, body of work, resume speaks for itself. Then you got a guy like DJ Moore who, you know, very quietly has an impressive resume because he plays at Maryland. He's not hyped up as much as the Alabama kid. But then, you know, the combine comes around and, uh, you know, Ridley, he jumps 31 inches on the vertical. DJ Moore jumps 39.5. Calvin Ridley jumps 110 inches on the broad. DJ Moore jumps 132 inches. Uh, Calvin Ridley, 441 in the short shuttle. DJ Moore, 407 in the short shuttle. At what point do you take the big school? And Maryland's a big school, Power Five conference, but Alabama's cream of the crop. At what time? At what point do you take the the, the sticker off the helmet? And how much does the measurables weigh up against the resume? And is it concerning to you that, hey, you know, Calvin Ridley is supposed to be, quote, unquote, the top wide receiver in the draft, yet he only jumps 31 inches. You know, I don't remember a top receiver coming off the board that, that was that limited athletically. Is that a concern for you? Is there any first-round wide receivers? How do you see the wide receivers playing out? I think the thing with Ridley that concerns me more than – then just the results of that are, hey, at Alabama, number one, everybody to your left, to your right, and even to your far left or right are all going to end up being a draft pick or or having a chance to play at the next level. And so you're getting a lot of matchups that are totally favorable considering their run game, considering their offensive line, considering all the, you know, the different aspects, you know, of that club to whereas – you know, hey, if you're going to a club that's a wide receiver needy team that's going to be looking at you to to be, you know, a forefront guy early in your career, and now those matchups are not as favorable. And now you don't have the separation and you're not being given the, you know, the cushion that you were given at Alabama. Now some of those physical limitations, you know, make me wonder because those plays that they're saying – Hey, look at look at once he gets the ball. Look at look at what he's doing after the catch. Well, a lot of that is you know based also off of the coverage and the factor that the guys he is playing against in those scenarios are playing a certain down and distance against Alabama. So he's getting these favorable one-on-one matchups. On the flip side, DJ Moore, for instance, prior to the NFL Combine, Greg Gabriel, who was a decision maker for I'm going to say 20 years, probably was longer. You know, and who I think does a very good job in terms of just nuts and bolts. You know, he has no favoritism. He has no, you know, kind of agenda, you know, to, to his write-ups. Instead, his biggest holdup on, on D.J. Moore was his athletic ability and what kind of, you know, straight-line speed he would have. And then D.J. Moore goes out and over-produces at the combine compared to what you expected because you don't see him playing like that on a weekly basis. You don't see that just ultra playmaker, you know, on the field there. And I think it's the same, you know, the the, the biggest thing I got out of Josh's, uh, you know, Joe's, you know, evaluations of the receivers was I probably would rather go have some ice cream than draft a receiver in the first round because I think wouldn't we agree that if you take the next guy that you might mention, 
Cortland Sutton, he has prototype size. He ran four or five. But then he's a limited route runner in terms of what your expectations, you know, should be for next year. And there's much, just as much a likelihood, I think, of taking, for instance, a third or fourth round Cedric Wilson type guy who, like one of those guys, is likely to have a, a breakout season or a pr- very productive season the way that Juju Smith-Schuster did last year. And the guys that you're taking early could kind of flatten out early in their careers depending on where they're going. Because if your expectation is for the Cowboys to draft any of those guys and for them to have an immediate impact, it's not, it's not, it's not really going to happen. You know, if it, if now, okay, if they draft Sutton, maybe he can produce some of the touchdowns you know, that they're losing if they get Ridley. He's going to get utilized in a, in a bunch of different roles. And if they took D.J. Moore, okay, maybe they line him out at X and hope that that vertical speed is able to project at the next level. But like I said, it was not something that going into this year, D.J. Moore was not a guy at the tip of your tongue that you were saying, hey, one big season and that guy should declare, you know, for the draft. So I'm absolutely on this, you know, on board with saying, hey, now, if you're drafting at the later part of the first round, and potentially, even though they just went ahead and, you know, made some changes at the receiver position, let Willie Sneed go, re-sign Brandon Coleman, you know, but in all reality, it's, you know, it's Mike Thomas, and they, you know, they're still trying to kind of, you know, figure things out in terms of who's that other guy, you know, that in the long term is going to make place. I wouldn't be shocked that instead of taking a tight end, you know, there, that the Saints, if, you know, one of those guys was their top receiver on their board, to draft that guy over what appears to be maybe a corner will be the best player on the board, a, a hybrid pass rusher, but not, you know, a guy that's 100% going to be seen as a for sure make it defensive end with Jeff Ireland, you know, contributing a lot to their front office now, especially the draft. You know, he's a Parcells guy. Parcells did not like tweener type guys. You know, I could see them having a choice of that versus the tight end versus a defensive player that may or may not fit exactly what their needs are. But I don't expect the Cowboys, you know, I don't expect those clubs in the teams, Baltimore or Dallas, there's going to be better options. I think there's even better options if you said, hey, I'm going to come back. And I think Dallas has, what, 10 picks for the first time in 10 or 12, 15 years. You know, that you can't remember the last time Dallas had all their selections. If I'm Dallas, I'm taking best available player in the first and then if there's a guy that I really want, I'll make a trade back. I'll, I'll trade a, a third or a fourth round pick, you know, to come up in the second round and go get that guy because I think the, the variables at receiver are such that somebody that goes third or fourth round is going to produce equal to somebody that goes first or second. And then probably somebody that's taken five through seven will be able to produce the same way that somebody that went in the third or fourth because it's really just where you're going and what are they going to utilize you as and what is surrounding you at that point, because you could definitely see if the Patriots take a vertical threat receiver at some point in the draft, that kid will have an equal or better opportunity to produce than if the Dallas Cowboys select one at 19, and you're hoping that all of a sudden everybody is not going to cover him with their best guy to try to force Dak Prescott into short throws to Witten, forcing the ball to the other receivers that haven't made plays. That, I mean, they're, they're simply going to do the same thing that they've done to the Cowboys, which is why Dallas has tried to say, okay, no Des Bryant, but if we have three receivers and the tight end and Zeke, we might have a more free-flowing offense that doesn't ask Dak Prescott to try to you know, squeeze the ball in 
which created turnovers, and stop holding the ball so long, which caused a lot of the sack fumbles and issues that the offensive line had last year. All right, Rick Saratella, John Murphy, Joe Everett here. You there. We've got about 10 minutes to play around with. I uh, Unfortunately or fortunately, have to hop on another show at the top of the hour, and I'm going to ask each of these guys my burning question of the day, which is I want to know from each of you who is the one guy who we're going to hear their name called later on this evening that nobody's anticipating that's going to come out of the dark. Every year we have somebody who nobody sees coming out of the woodworks and being a first-round pick, and I'm going to ask John Murphy and Joe Everett, each of them, who they think that player is. But first, before we get there, I just want to remind everybody that the NFLDraftBible.com is on fire. We have our latest mock draft. We have our top 600 ultimate big board players ranked 1 through 600, including scouting reports, all the measurables. You want pro day numbers. You want combine numbers. You want undrafted free agents. We've got you covered and we'll be tracking where those guys go throughout the weekend. Of course, we also have the latest scouting reports, player interviews, and all the latest buzz on the NFLDraftBible.com. Of course, these guys, John and Joe and Chris and Justin, will all be on the Twitterverse during the draft, giving you instant impact analysis. We're going to be doing some Periscope and Facebook Live uh, live hits and, and some video streams, especially on that day three coverage where, you know, all these mainstream media outlets are too busy talking about quarterbacks and day one picks on day three. We're going to actually give you analysis and uh, provide you with some insight on some of these players being selected on day three. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, once again, John Everett, uh, John Murphy, confusing my names here, John Murphy, Assistant Vice President of Football Operations and Player Personnel at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, one of the original NFL Draft Bible familial. Of course, Joe Everett, the Director of College Football Scouting, has been with the NFL Draft Bible for over a decade strong. And, of course, RIC in the place to be. Rick Saratella, tell it like it is when it comes to the NFL Draft since 2002. It's what we do. Check us out, baby. We can't stop. We won't stop. And, guys, you know, we got a few minutes to play around with. Joe, I'll start it off with you. Who's that guy? Who's that player? Who's that man that you're saying, hey, nobody's talking about this guy, but I think he's going to go in the first round. Who you got for me? Well, it, it, it would have been Dallas Goddard, but you up and put him in your in your first-round mock, so I better come with something a little bit better than that. Uh, I, I'll, I'll give you guys – the player that it was so hard, I wanted to put him in my first round because I, I think he's he's easily in the top 30 players. It's Ronnie Harrison from Alabama. I really You can have Minka Fitzpatrick, and he's wonderful. He does so many things well. I know exactly what Ronnie does well. He's right outside of the box. He's going to lay some wood. Uh, I, I think he can get you know caught with some complex routes here and there, but – I don't even think he's isolated strong safety. I think he could play both. The tone he kind of sets and just the serious demeanor he brings, like I'd I'd really be curious if he's ever cracked a joke in the Alabama locker room. I would I would vote no. I mean he is really that focused in. He's just dialed up. Um, he's that type of guy that uh, you don't have to worry about him on game day. And I think a team much like you know the Falcons. 
they ran that Seattle scheme and they really wanted Cam Chancellor. Like, well, who's going to be our Cam Chancellor at the very end of that draft? And Keanu Neal comes in. I think that's going to be uh, – Ronnie could fit that bill for a team that really wants, like I said, a tone setter um, that will, will play strong safety as opposed to free. And I, I think there's so many safeties right now that, like, Derwin James, he's he's a great player, but – I would, do we know exactly what he is? I know what Ronnie is, and I think the, a lot of NFL teams have him pretty well pegged, uh, their vision of him at the next level, and I think that's a guy who could surprise, and maybe in the, the 30, 31, 32, it's like, what, who? The other Alabama safety? Yes, he's just as good as Minka. Yeah, you know, uh, good points made, and Derwin James is a guy, I actually have him sliding just because of team needs and, and fit, I think Derwin James could slide to 18 to Seattle, and that would be, you know, falling into their lap there. Justin Reed to Pittsburgh, they're looking for a safety. I actually have, and I agree with you, Joe. I think Ronnie Harrison on film is a first-round talent. I have him going 37 to your guys, uh, the Indianapolis Colts, as a matter of fact. But, um, you know, let's turn it over to John Murphy for his First round surprise, John. Who's the guy tonight when we hear his name called? Where we're gonna have all the fans, you know, going to Google his name and saying, "Hey, what? I I, I didn't hear this guy being talked about in the first round." I think my guy is gonna be a reflection of the factor that I think Colton Miller ends up going way higher than he needs to, which will then create a spot in the late first round for Brian O'Neill. And I think the same reason that people are going to take Colton Miller substantially earlier than they probably should is because there's definitely a question amongst people, can McVinci 100% be a left tackle, or will he end up being a very good right tackle but not be a left tackle? And if that's the case, you could then see, you know, some changes in terms of how early certain guys go, which then could create a need for, you know, clubs that are looking at that left tackle spot and then it wouldn't surprise me at 31. You know, I'm not saying this is going to be, you know, at 17, but I could see that if Colton Miller and, you know, the guys that could potentially compete at left tackle being off the board, that that guy has a very good chance, you know, of sneaking in there. And close second to that would be Carlton Davis of Auburn, only because you see it on a regular that, okay, the zone corners, the guy that don't test well, you know, they'll, they'll let that go at a lot of positions. They normally don't let that go at cover positions. And then to add six foot and change, 200 pounds, you know, run and test the way he tested, I could see him over, you know, jumping over some other guy again in that 20 to 32 range when clubs are looking and saying, man, I really wanted that type of guy. You know, I think you see it happen, you know, all the time. You know, Michael Huff years ago, you know, goes and all of a sudden, you know, Buffalo shocks everybody and takes Dante Whitner, you know, right there. When clubs fall in love with a certain type of guy, then you got to start looking at, okay, if those are the type of guys that go early and then clubs are sitting there and they're forced to make a selection and don't have trade back partners, they're going to get scared that the beginning of the second round they lose their next guy and now all of a sudden you're in a scramble mode to, to overdraft you know, players throughout the draft. And I think that's where you see guys uh, notoriously teams make mistakes by overdrafting DBs based off a of height, weight, 40, and making mistakes drafting what they perceive to be that next left tackle, that, that next athletic 
offensive linemen that could potentially play on the left-hand side. And I think there's enough teams in the league that question, is McGlinchey 100% a left tackle? Connor Williams, is he a tackle for sure? Or is he even, you know, some clubs are looking at him as a potential conversion all the way to center. You know, we all know what we saw out of, you know, Orlando Brown, you know, at the Combine. Colton Miller, who is really a developmental prospect, who in most drafts, you know, should be a third, maybe even a fourth-round pick, is now going to be taken probably somewhere as high as, like I said, I wouldn't, I will not be shocked now if he's a top 15 to 20 pick when, like I said, in all reality, that kid needs a year of development in the NFL, you know, before he gets a chance to play, which is why I think the teams would then look at and say, okay, who do I have ranked closest to a Colton Miller type that athletically could challenge, you know, at left tackle? And like I said, you look back every year in the draft, and in the first 50 picks, when clubs overdraft guys, DBs and offensive tackles are normally the, the ones that strike out at the highest rate because they're not looking at their film. They're looking at possibilities and projections. Some interesting perspective there from John Murphy, and I think, you know, it's two opposite ends of the spectrum in this year's draft class because you take a look at the offensive tackle position. There's just not enough to go around. Hey, who – what team in the NFL can't use an additional offensive tackle, whether it be left or right? There just seems to be not enough of them to go around. And, you know, you mentioned the cornerbacks, and I think I, I'm tallying them up as we go. I, I got seven or eight defensive backs uh, here in the first round. So 20, 25% of the first round could be players taken from the secondary. It could be a run very early on these cornerbacks and, uh, you know, guys like Isaiah Oliver, Carlton Davis, keep a lookout for them. Uh, we also got um, Justin Reed, who we mentioned in, in, the, in the safety department, Joshua Jackson. Uh, a lot of these corners are going to come off the board early and often. Mike Hughes, a guy that I have going to Denver, who trading down uh, could, you know, take a guy like Mike Hughes to replace Akib Talib. Now, obviously, if they stand pat, Denzel Ward is a guy. Jared Alexander from Louisville, another stud in the secondary. So, I think the secondary is going to be fast and furious tonight. Here, we're just five hours away from the 2018 NFL Draft, and we got a little bit of a late start on today's podcast. We're going to come back at you tomorrow with these two guys, and hopefully, we get uh, some of the other NFL Draft Bible familia on Justin Gamble, Chris, uh, Chris Shanafelt. And we're going to be doing it each and every day. We're going to be recapping each and every round. We're going to be previewing the day ahead. So keep it locked. Stay tuned at the NFLDraftBible.com. Of course, on Twitter, at NFL Draft Bible. Uh, John, Joe, and myself will be exchanging thoughts and analysis and uh, interacting with you guys on the Twitterverse. So we're looking forward to that. This is our 17th year of NFL Draft coverage since 2002. It's what we do. And uh, abbreviated version podcast today. We'll come back at you tomorrow. Keep it locked to the website for the official uh, time of the show. But we're going to count you down, lead you up, break it down, give you what you need to know, front to back, up and down, inside out. We're going to tell you what it's all about. It's Rick Saratella, founder of the NFL Draft Bible here. I want to thank my special guest, Joe Everett director of college football scouting for the NFL Draft Bible. And, of course, John Murphy, one of the original OGs here at the NFL Draft Bible, Familia, and now currently the assistant vice president of football operations and player personnel at Saskatchewan Rough Riders. If you like our hard-hitting analysis, then, hey, listen, 
click it, like it, subscribe it. We're on iTunes. We're on Blog Talk Radio. We're on NFLDraftBible.com. We're all over the place. So please do spread the word because nobody, I mean, nobody is breaking it down like we are. Are you tired of the NFL Network? Because I am. All they do is just a little bit of quarterback, a little bit of Saquon Barkley, sprinkling some Bradley Chubb. I've been trying to be a fan of the show, but, hey, I just can't get into it because they don't know anything beyond the first round. If you're looking for seven round and beyond undrafted free agents, hey, the undrafted free agent frenzy. It's crazier than the draft. We cover that, too, once the NFL draft ends on Saturday around 6 or 7 p.m. Then we get jump-started and kick-started with the undrafted free agent trackers. Follow it all on Twitter, at NFL Draft Bible, NFLDraftBible.com. Our deals are crazier than Insane Eddie, Crazy Eddie deals. All right, we can't stop. We won't stop. We'll catch you back here tomorrow and enjoy the draft coverage tonight, 7 p.m., just five hours away. Keep it locked. We'll break it all down for you.